listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I am joined today via telephone with my co-host. Uh, I am I am one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And I'm your other telephone host, Roger Gaddis. Here we go. And today we are joined by another telephone uh, person. Our, our guest today is Rob Cogdill from West Central Iowa, uh, where where he runs a, a few grain elevators. So we have him on today to, to share a little bit with us. So thanks for coming, Rob. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, as you were saying uh, earlier, Rob, you've got uh, a lot going on. It's uh, getting towards the end of summer. Harvest is upon us and, and, and things are accelerating, as you said. Uh, so we really thank you for taking the time to, uh, to join us uh, on this episode today. And, um, you know, we've had kind of you in our minds for, for a while yet to, uh, to be on because, um, you know, we, we encounter you pretty regularly customer white commercial and, and get to see you at, at meetings and different events. And you always are an interesting person. You always have people gather around you to hear what you have to say. Uh, and, and, you know, I think in, in part, uh, because of your background and how you arrived, uh, at the grain elevator that you're at today. So if you don't mind getting kicked off here, tell us a little bit about, uh, that journey and, and, you know, a short bio, if you will, from, from how you got to, to where you were to where you are. Well, yeah, I, uh, I have to rehearse that all the time because, uh, you know, I have to remind myself that when I met my wife, I convinced her that I was going to be a professor and I was going to get tenure and, you know, we were going to go to football games every Saturday. <laughs> and so she followed me through, graduate school. I got a, a PhD in pharmaceutical science. And, uh, and then, you know, we started having kids and we really miss uh, life in the Midwest. And so I, I left a uh, consulting and adjunct faculty position. I had a PhD in pharmaceutical science. And um, after a couple of degrees in ag engineering, and then worked at the University of Nebraska in the College of Engineering as the Director of Research Development. And everything was still, I think, sort of kosher for Janelle that this is kind of what I convinced her we'd be doing with our lives. And then um, late one night, I read a copy of The Art of Grain Merchandising. And uh, I just couldn't put it down because I grew up in the grain elevator business, but our business hadn't really gone anywhere uh, since I was a kid. And um, it seemed to me that the book held a lot of the keys to, you know, maybe what we weren't doing that we should have been doing. And so I, I read almost the whole thing that first night. And then I, uh, I called, I forget who I talked to um, there at White Commercial. Uh, it's, it's, I think it was Sherry Lorton. Anyway, she got me in a hold with uh, Scott Hansen. I met with Scott Hansen and, and he basically convinced me that, I needed to buy into the family business if I was ever going to be happy. And uh, that was the winter after the 2009 harvest. 
And when I would go home, I would see that our family business had customers wanting to do business with us. And we, uh, you know, we just weren't really rising to meet, you know, what they wanted. And so it wasn't that I was worried about whether we would have customers. It was, are we going to be able to keep them and uh, give them a good experience? So in 2010, I wrote a business plan and invited my cousin Sean to come with me. And we made a pitch to the elders and um, bought our way into the company. Well, okay, when I say bought, we showed up and they gave us a paycheck. But right. someday, someday we'll have a piece of the company. And uh, it, you know, to me, it still sounds like a pretty good deal. And so right there, I guess my deal with the wife went off the rails. Uh, but she's recovered from it, and I think she's okay with it now. So we, uh, yeah, she lets me farm a little bit. And uh, the, the grain elevator thing seems to be taking off. Um, in 2010, when I came in, we handled about 3 million bushels a year and we were really just three locations. And now we're closing on our sixth location. And, you know, I'm thinking that we should be around 15 million bushels a year. Wow. So we're doing good. And, uh, I, uh, I have to give all the credit to Sherry Lorton and Don White for writing that book and making it available. I think it's uh, everything that you just said is extremely incredible. But the most incredible part is that you read the Art of Grain Merchandise in one night. That's kudos. That's incredible. <laughs> you know, I think there were some pieces in the appendix I didn't read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny though. That and, the, book, and the font, really. <laughs> yeah, the font. The, it's funny that book. It's it is a textbook. It's used a, for for as a university courses use as as a textbook and you know so it's chapters accordingly and you can you can go to certain sections but it it does it does read pretty easy if you just want to start the beginning and read you know most textbooks aren't aren't quite like that so pretty good yeah i i didn't go through all the you know the math problems and stuff like that. i read basically the meat and potatoes for each chapter and i was still in academia so i was still pretty good at that at that time <laughs> yeah well, I, I wouldn't know what it's like when you have a bunch of advanced degrees and, you know, engineering and, and stuff like that. It's, it's probably not, not too complicated of math for you there. i tell you what, um, uh, I've, I, I stayed in college. I tell my college, I stayed in, or my kids, I stayed in college for 12 years. Um, and I took, you know, courses like differential equations and, uh, multivariate statistics and blah, 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 and passing my certified grain merchant was actually one of the more difficult things I'd ever done. Uh, it, it's, it's, if you are not used to, if you're, you know, not used to thinking in terms of spreads and a DPR and a hedge position and et cetera, it's actually pretty tricky. You know, it's not, it's certainly not organic chemistry which I was never really good at anyway. But, you know, uh, anybody who can master this and, and develop basis size, you know, you are you're, you're, you got to have some confidence. Hey, man. Now that's pretty good. Now, Rob is one of our, obviously, more analytical when it comes to your, your standard grain merchandisers that we deal with. Uh, and and now, I, I think after hearing his background, you can, you can understand why and why he – uh, he's good at that stuff. So, Robbie talked about developing basis size, which is you know 
kind of thing we say about just how to understand your market at well and then how to how to i guess act in a dynamic way to capture opportunities and and things like that what what would you say to somebody who maybe is is newer at merchandising and hadn't hadn't been doing it uh very long uh thing things they should focus their energy on and uh to, that would help them develop uh more confidence to, to trading basis well, uh, there's a couple of things. First off, you know, the first level of having basis size is not asking anything about price regarding your position. I've got a cousin that's starting in the business and I'm hoping to see him, you know, cross that Rubicon where he's got basis size. Uh, but once you're at, at that point where you don't look at corn as it's $4 corn, it's, you know, it's 13 under corn or whatever. Once you're to that point, uh, I think the most valuable thing you can do is start tracking your basis for every relevant basis market in your area, your competitors and the people you might sell to, and and do it religiously. When I, you know, when I first started, I I would do it almost every day. Almost every day, I would whip through the websites of everybody and look at the emails they sent out, and I and I have a little database. And it doesn't have to be fancy, but we're out of track them. And what you'll notice is, you know, in the short run, you'll see that certain people change their basis before other people. Certain end users tend to lead the others, and then the others lag. And if you can figure out who the leader is going to be, you know, th that helps alert you when you're near an inflection point. And then, you know, over the long pull, you see the seasonality to it. You learn that certain grain businesses seem to have, you know, maybe these dates that are written down, but they're not going to tell you what those dates are, but they happen to be at the same time every year, where if they don't have their book covered, they're they're going to change their basis. Or if they do have their book covered, they're going to change their basis. It's, you know, learning, you, you're kind of learning the fingerprints for, especially the people you sell to. If you can master the patterns of whoever your market is, I mean, I'm just a, we're just a little truck house. And so I only have to learn a certain number of people. It'd be a lot harder if I had to learn rail, you know, rail rates and then some rail bid or whatever that I don't know about. But, you know, I look at the businesses we sell grain to and I, I kind of know what makes them tick at this point. You know, I can tell when they're going to freak out or when they are freaking out or when they're about ready to stop freaking out for corn. And that to me gives me an advantage. Uh, you know, I used to think that I could resolve all of this to math and that I should be able to figure out what indicator I could look at. And I got to spend some time with Don White and uh, the, the guys he calls the chosen ones. And I remember basically getting taken out to the woodshed because they, they just said, well, you know, this is what it's going to do. You know, you just have to be ready for it and be there, and it's going to do that. And you know, whatever. And what they were talking about is this has a, a rhythm and a seasonality to it. And if you just put yourself in a position of knowing what the mark, the next turn in basis and spreads is going to be, and just wait and let it happen and be ready for it. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's really good, and and. You know, talking to you over time too, it sounds like that um, tracking. Uh, would you say that that exercise itself 
was one of the top few things that you did that give you confidence in in your basis trading abilities? Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yep. Uh, so that, that that's the first one. The next one is knowing your flow in the elevator. You know, Y Commercial has these uh, handy-dandy spreadsheets you can fill out. I have my own method, but also use some of those same spreadsheets. But if you, you know, I don't care what type of crop year it is, the pattern in which you receive grain and you get rid of grain, it's, it turns out that it's going to be the same every year. Drought, bumper crop, wet year, whatever, it's all pretty much the same. And so if you're thinking about putting on a big position and you're thinking, oh, man, I just, I just don't know if I'm going to have the corn to fill this, you know, let's say it's a great opportunity you want to short the basis on. Well, if you don't know how much corn you're going to buy, and let's say that, you know, you're willing to get short the basis uh, deep enough that it'll take you a month to get out. You know, that's something I'll often do. I'll say, well, basis typically isn't going to rise for at least a month. So I'm only, but I think it, this is too high. So I'm going to short it, you know, up to the amount that I think it'll take me a month to get it back. Well, if you don't know your grain flow or if you don't know, you know, how quickly you typically buy it, you're just flying blind. You're just guessing. But if you, you know, you, you have to know what your flow patterns are and it's worth putting the work in because it, really doesn't change as much as you might think. Yeah, humans are humans are kind of creatures of habit, it turns out. Yep, yep. And uh, the, the, the last thing, you know, it, it took making some mistakes to help me uh, put me in the position where I needed to do it. But I can't say enough about how doing my weekly merchandising dashboard helps me. And with that dashboard, I write at least something about what I'm thinking. And, you know, if, if you listen to stock market traders or commodity traders or whatever, professional speculators, uh, a lot of them say that to be successful, they keep some sort of a journal or a log. And I used to think that, that you know, whatever, that's just something they say. But just having to write down what I'm doing and why I'm doing it kind of makes it better. Mm -hmm. So a couple directions I was thinking, either shifting towards just philosophies on buying grain and then um, also then like this year in particular, I, I, playing off of what's your thoughts right now, what are your thoughts right now? You know, so. Well, our, our philosophy, you know, you might remember Northwestern Mutual's advertising we like to think of ourselves as the quiet company i know that there are some companies that get really involved in making cold calls to buy grain or just calling customers saying hey the market's up a nickel what do you think we don't do that we don't have enough time for that and i really don't believe most of our customers want that um, so we tend to take more of a hands-off approach on buying grain but what i do want is you know i want to make sure that my customers are aware of what options they have I try to put information out either via a text or on my website or sometimes via a letter, you know, letting them know when it's seasonally, you know, the best time if we're there or if, if I feel that they need to be aware of the fundamental situation changing. And then let them make their choices and we try to be there with a consistent answer and a quality experience. Um, right now, I feel like we're at a real crossroads. You know, I've been uh, 
putting some pressure on people to be getting old crops sold since May. And, you know, if they haven't listened to me this far, you know, we're in that point now where I'm worried a little bit less about those folks and more about, well, you know, what what do we need to be doing to get ready for that next crop and what's the outlook for it and uh, what's the seasonal tendencies? You know, on soybeans, for example, I, I tell a lot of guys, and right or wrong, but this is my advice to them. If you haven't sold your beans by Labor Day, uh, and Labor Day is kind of, you know, right around Labor Day seems to be a special time. If you don't get it done now, you just won't forget about it, uh, probably until Thanksgiving. And usually that works for guys. Um, I, I know it seems counterintuitive to be suggesting to them that, you know, Maybe they ought to pay a couple price later fees or something like that, or maybe put their beans in storage. But I have to admit that it, it usually does better for my customers if they're willing to do it. And uh, most guys don't. It seems like most guys just want to puke their beans and harvest because they heard that somebody had high yields. And if Chicago finds out, the price is going to get much lower. Well, Chicago already knows, but it doesn't matter. The guys want to sell. So my, my holiday marketing plan on soybeans is, if you haven't sold them by Labor Day, forget about it till Thanksgiving. Start thinking about it at Thanksgiving, and it's usually a pretty good idea to get rid of them around Christmas and New Year's. If you still have them on Valentine's Day, get rid of them. And if they're still there on St. Patty's Day, you better start drinking because you missed it. <laughs> so that's the holiday marketing plan soybeans. There you go. And, you know, you always have something to talk about every month. Um, you know, corn, you know, it, we're in an odd situation because here locally, the crop is getting dry and getting smaller. And, you know, we started this year with high hopes that it was going to be best crop ever. And, and now, you know, we're thinking it'll be slightly less than average around here, which is not a train wreck. And we've got more corn acres than people think. But I have customers calling me wanting to get long and buy back or do something with uh, what they've already sold. And nobody wants to sell new crop because they envision that what's happening here is happening nationwide. Yeah. Well, I just went to Ohio and back uh, a week ago, and I have to assure them that what's happening here is not happening nationwide. What's happening nationwide is there's a lot of darn corn. And, you know, there's, there's probably elements of demand that are overstated. And so, you know, we're, we're in a tough spot. Prices are low, but there's really no fundamental reason why they need to get higher. And so if they really want to stay long, because that's what makes them comfortable, I just want them to do it the least expensive way possible now with and take the minimum amount of risk and have realistic expectations. Um, I bet we, we haven't introduced extended price contracts, but I am intending to offer them now because I've got so many people that want to retain, they want to stay in the market. And uh, I feel it's more of a win-win to offer that as opposed to storage or price later. And, you know, I'm doing a little research on that right now to see if, you know, what would be some good suggestions to make. You know, one thing on that, Rob, just we were talking recently is uh, March for corn anyways, it's March corn calls are around 16 cents and that gives them till, you know, late February to price. For 16 cents which is probably a lot less than what they're going to pay in price later fees and 
not get as much time. And then, but that keeps them in the market and they can have their money up front and you get basis ownership, all that. So yeah, if we, if for whatever reason, we haven't always been as an industry been great at packaging that idea for farmers. And I think it's because you start telling them about what option trades you're going to make. And they're like, nah, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, they think, oh, I don't want to trade options, you know. Well, they don't have to. You know, you're going to do it. here Instead of paying this minimum for DP, pay this minimum, and this gets you, you know. So. We're, we're, we're going to miss the bolt for this year, but uh, I think that what you just hit on is is exactly right. And uh, I, I'm very intrigued by what's available with OTCs um, for that reason, you know. I want to offer somebody a mini max right now uh, because I think, you know, I think you can reasonably, you know, I think a farmer can reasonably give a number to how much upside they're, uh, they right. really want willing to sacrifice beyond that if it makes their cost less. Um, but the idea of offering a mini max right now sounds like a pain if I have to do a bunch of them for a lot of different people. Mm. Well, you know, from what little I understand about OTCs right now, that's going to make it easier for me to offer something tailored to somebody. And we don't have to talk about put your calls or anything. It's just, Hey, is this what you're trying to accomplish? And right. if this is what you're trying to accomplish, it's going to cost you seven cents or, you know, it's going to pay you three cents or whatever. And, you know, let her, let her rip, you know? So I, I'm, I'm thinking that for situations like these, those will be, easier to manage and easier to sell. I'm, I'm not real interested in accumulators because they're just too darn complicated for me. Uh, but I'm, I'm really stoked about the, um, the Minimax and the Minimax Averager concept. Yeah. It, and it's a, I hear you say it to, to, uh, it's really a tragedy. These guys, they incur a lot of post-harvest marketing fees with little to, uh, a lot of times no protection uh, from lower prices. And I was talking to a guy uh, last week in, in Illinois and, and he's got guys finally given up and pricing out and they paid 40 or 50 cents in fees on their corn from last year. Uh, and at harvest, his cash price was around three eighty. They're taking three ten and paying 40, 50 cents in fees. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a tragic situation, but. It's what happens a lot of time, unfortunately. It's tragic, and I don't like the adversarial position it puts us in at the elevator. Right. Uh, you know, I feel like it's a personal failure that I have customers that have more than one, you know, crop that's had more than one birthday, shall we say. Um, and, you know, I try to get them to sell, you know, every year. And uh, they have the reasons why they they feel that something's better, it, something better is coming along. And um, you know, I have some folks that their crop is getting long enough in the tooth now that they really have to sell for risk of having negative equity, which we won't allow. Mm -hmm. And you know, when we finally convince them to settle, they say, "Well, how about you? Uh, you know, what do you think? Maybe you ought to." give us a break on the storage charges because it just looks like we stuck a fat hog. And, you know, I just tell them, look, I would have made more money and you would have made more money if you'd have just sold it to me back when it had 
a five in front of me or a four uh, or a three. And uh, if I give you uh, a break on that storage, I'm just paying you to do what has been harming both of us. And I'm not going to pay for that. You know, I, I'm not going to encourage that. And, you know, that doesn't. So it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, but also it, it, you know, people feel when they have all those service charges they have to pay, it's as though we're taking something from us. But in, in actuality, they took something from us. They, they, they took use of our space. And, you know, we have to be careful how much we give that away. I, I think yeah. we, we do too much of giving away our space and our logistics. And um, collectively, we need to revalue that more what it's worth. Um, you know, we're, we're as susceptible to it as anybody, uh, but, you know, trying to go the other way because, uh, you know, it would be better for everybody to not. So industry-wide, Rob, why, why do you think that is? Why, why do we as, a, as an elevated industry um, tend to give, give space and logistics away? I think that there's you know, maybe maybe three reasons. Um, you know, number one, the neighbors do it. You know, uh, if if you're if you're really concerned that you're not going to get market share, and part of it is because everybody else is doing it, there's a tremendous amount of pressure to also offer it. Uh, is number one. Number two, you know, you you worry that if you don't offer it, you know. Oh my lord! They're just going to build grain bins, and they're going to store everything, and they won't need us anymore. And you know that, that's a little bit like a low self-esteem answer. But I, I see people that you know feel that the only way they can get that they can originate is by giving it away. Um, and, and I don't think it's right, but there are people that feel that way. Mm-hmm. And 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 the the other is I don't. I don't know, maybe they, you know, they feel that what they're doing is a customer service. Uh, you know, I, I do believe, you know, part of what we offer is, you know, we get to a certain time of year, and I'm going to admit it, it's when I think basis has already peaked. Uh, we get to a certain time of year where, look, if, if, you want, if you want us to pick up your corn, and then you want to sell it after it's all picked up, so you know exactly what you got, I get that. And that doesn't bother me. And I don't even feel like I'm giving anything away because it actually makes my life easier too. But when somebody, you know, wants to then just roll that and roll that and hang on to it forever, it's not doing anybody any good. Right. Except the banker. Yeah. They always come out ahead, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You mentioned earlier about your, uh, you know, one of the ways you outreach to your customers uh website and a newsletter and stuff and you've also within the past year or so i'd say i have to go back and look but you you've you've uh launched a blog and and um you know put it on there through twitter and stuff uh bullshit so what what was the the impetus behind that was it catharsis or was it was it outreach to customers or just a place to, to store the ideas that you have and work on because it's, it's really good reading and i'm glad you do it uh, but i was just curious what was the motivation for that it's it's catharsis and it's a it's a place to store ideas and it's you know it's a way to think out loud. I uh, you know one of these deals where I write it and I post it and then I worry someone might see it uh, because I <laughs> That's haven't. The way we feel about this podcast, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't advertised it to our customers 
And, you know, I, I do make links available to it, but I don't push it at all. And, and the other thing is, you know, I just, may, I'm, I'm going to make an excuse here. I got a heck of a lot of stuff going on. I mean, in work and I do, you know, too much stuff outside of work. And uh, so I don't get as much time to write as I would like. But, you know, when I've got something on my chest and what really started is I found myself telling one or two things to some people, you know, a hundred times. I would say the same thing to customers trying to explain the concept to them. I was like, you know, I'm just going to write about this and then maybe they can read it. And they don't, I mean, pretty much they don't read it. They, they'd rather listen to me explain it. But yeah, that's why I wrote that. And, and when I can write it, I enjoy it. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not a very good, it's not a very good blog because I just don't do it very often. So if, you know, it could be a while till I write something again. I've got some ideas, but Christ, uh, running out of time. Oh, that's for sure. So staying on the, on the <clears throat> Twitter theme here, uh, off the top of your head, who is who is someone on Twitter that you really enjoy following? Like what they have to say, whether it's green related or not. Well, I don't know if it's so much about what he says, but that, that pinch honky guy is hilarious. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Oh yeah. That that dude is funny, but yet he doesn't seem like he's trying to be funny. He's it's almost like he has a helmet cam that automatically creates these from the situations he's in. Uh, he's pretty awesome. And, you know, there's, uh, oh, darn it. There, there's, there's a handful of those guys that I know are traders that, uh, that are, that are very insightful. And if I had my Twitter here in front of me, I could pull them up, uh, that, you know, th there's a lot of personalities there. I really like, really like to, uh, to follow. Yeah. yeah, E. Archer is hilarious, and and I I really like the way when it's really time to do something, he just comes out and smacks you in the face with it, but in a way that uh, is pretty funny. He he has a lot of good timely advice for people. I don't grow wheat, so I guess it's nothing for me. But <laughs> <laughs> so I got a a question also now coming from from your background and everything, and and getting into the business a little later what are some big misconceptions out there about just grain the grain elevator business the merchandising business that maybe you used to have and or that you've come in and can't believe that people have you know stuff like that is are there any big ones for you that you've seen well when i came into the business uh, i had a lot of people People that I grew up with or maybe knew from college, they're like, why are you throwing everything away? The grain elevator <laughs> business, it, that's, it's dying. It's going to go away. That's so boring. That's so lowbrow. You know, you're too smart for that and blah, 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 blah. And they didn't see it. I kind of had an idea. And part of it was family pride. I really felt that our, you know, our family had everything it took to make something bigger and more enduring. Uh, and I wanted to be a part of it. But I think that people look at grain elevators like they see that old wood house leaning off in the sunset and they think that's the grain elevator business. And it's not. Uh, I, uh, th this weekend when I was cutting trees at my cousin's house, um, his brother-in-law was there and we got to chatting and, you know, 
because I'm a man, I have to ask every other male what he does for a living. And, uh, well, it turns out that he, uh, I forget exactly his title, but basically he runs a hedge position uh, in for a, a life insurance firm, uh, you know, running, running their, their book. And, you know, we started talking about what we do. And, you know, he, he's basically running an, an option and a treasury hedge book where where I'm running a, a grain hedge book. But the terminology is very similar. The ideas are similar. They have spread risk. They have duration risk. It's all very analogous to what we do. And in, in a lot of respects, you know, what we do is more complicated than, you know, than rocket surgeons uh, on Wall Street doing similar things. So, I mean, we... We we have to do like I told the guy. I said, "Well, you know what you and I do is very similar." He's like, "Yeah, you know, actually, it's surprising how similar it is." And I said, "But on top of that, I got to figure out where all the trucks are going to go, and we got to build physical assets, and then I've got fifty employees to manage, and then I got to talk to about three hundred customers." Whereas, you know, in his case, it's open up the model and see what changed, and then you know, react accordingly. So. You know, running a grain business, there's this, you know, there's this beautiful mathematical or actuarial problem that you have to wrestle with every day of how do you optimize, you know, the value of your asset, whether it's grain or space or logistics. And then also, how do you help your customer at the same time to optimize their asset that you, you know, happen to handle for them? Wrapped around, you know, you have to wear all these different hats. And it's a growth business. Uh, yeah, the, the, the grain elevator business is dead. Long live the grain business. I mean, the one that people think about, you know, the old wood house, I mean, that is dead. But um, I don't know. We we grow a little bit every year. Um, I have a few more customers every year that get a semi and drive past us a little more than they used to. But our grain handle goes up every year. And those same folks, we, we may be doing some direct ship business for them or, you know, whichever. But we have to evolve and, and continue to meet our customers' needs. So I don't, I'm, I'm very bullish on the future because I feel that I have uh, an analytical edge on people that might compete with me for my region. And so that will help me remain durable. Uh, until something changes that I totally can't control. Not that you have no, any really time in your life, Rob, but I, you know your 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 dashboard model definitely has legs um, to be to be <laughs> you know used out amongst the industry because it's a it's a solid site better than than almost anything else out there. Yeah, there's there's stuff I've thought about adding to it, but I don't know for for me. I get more out of making it every week almost than doing anything with it. Well, you know, if you do ever launch off, just remember there's a little podcast that could use a real sponsor one day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if I had one lesson that uh, I've learned the hard way and that I have to keep relearning that I want to make sure and share, it's that the market does not pay you to do what is easy, fun, or enjoyable. All you got to do is go down to your local Canadian ballet and ask a stripper, and she'll tell you that she makes the most money doing the stuff that is not easy, fun, or enjoyable for her. 
And, you know, <laughs> in basis trading terms, uh, it, it felt, it felt good to sell a whole bunch of corn uh, this spring during the big fear out of the pandemic. And in retrospect, I think I'd have made more money uh, if I have sweat a little bit more. And I have to keep coming back to that lesson over and over and over again. Uh, so I, I repeat it often. And, and so whenever something feels like it's a little bit too easy or enjoyable, uh, second guess yourself because it might not be the most profitable. The greatest analogy I've ever heard for our business. <laughs> uh, I'll say, well, we uh, we really appreciate you taking time with us today. I think we've we've hit our approximation approximated time uh, time constraints, but. Uh, if if people wanted more information about your blog or, or reach out to you and tell you how much they enjoyed having listening to your your thoughts on this podcast, how could they do that? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I think my handle is at Bullsheet Blog. I guess I don't tell people my handle a lot, but I think that's what it is. If you if you search for Bullsheet Blog or Bullsheet dot Blog, you'll find it, and I think I think you can get to me from Twitter from there. Otherwise, go to www.cogdalefarmsupply.com and my phone number and email address are sprinkled there in various places, including my employment page in case any of you aspire to be a custom applicator. Just saying. Hey, there you go. And, and we're looking for a grain elevator supervisor. So, Got it One all. stop shop. Yep. Awesome. Well, Rob, hey, like Jason said, really appreciate it today. I know you're busy. You got a lot of things going on, but uh, man, we, we appreciate you coming on today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And for everyone listening, we, uh, thanks for, for coming back and, and continuing to listen. And uh, yeah, please like and subscribe and share. And of course, reach out to us as well at Elevators Cut on Twitter. And we're always happy to interact and take comments and and uh, suggestions and things money. like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. What do you do? Like uh, DM us some Bitcoin? Is that how it works, Roger? They can do a GoFundMe. That okay. would be fine if someone wanted to start that for us. That'd be good. Venmo. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> anyway, currency makes its way towards uh, towards us. It'd be, it'd be great. No. Uh, no, we appreciate it. And, I guess that's that's all for today. So thanks a lot. Have a uh, Rob. Hope you have a great harvest and everybody else out there. So, anyways, for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to the Elevators Cut. Out.